Hello, everybody. This is Jenny Lesko here with Rental Magazine and 4constructionpros.com. I'm here today with Scott Owen, Senior Training Manager with Genie, and we are going to talk about new ANSI standards uh, that go into effect this December. Specifically today, we're going to focus on the um, requirements for a safe use plan. Uh, Scott, what? Um, first of all, what what is a safe use plan and what does it entail? Well, the safe use plan, I think, is honestly one of the more important aspects of the new ANSI standards. Uh, ANSI is really focusing on more the employer more than anything else, put a lot of additional responsibilities on the employer to ensure that uh, their operators are not only properly trained, but they have supervised uh, individuals watching what they're doing and, and evaluating them and documenting those evaluations, uh, that they are performing a proper site risk assessment, uh, and it's, it's a detailed risk assessment that even includes what's under the ground uh, before they move the machine to that area. Uh, Tip-over is one of the leading causes of fatalities, unfortunately, in our industry. And a lot of people, when they go out and do a, a site risk assessment, they're not even considering what's underneath the, the ground that they're standing on. And uh, obviously, on new construction, there's a lot of things under there that uh, could cave in if you drive a 40,000-pound machine over it. Uh, they're also focusing on rescue plans, which is a really important aspect of this. Um, right now, you know, catapult is a really strong uh, possibility on a boom, and if somebody gets catapulted out of a boom on a job site today, most people won't know what to do. And uh, the minute you fall out of a boom, your fall protection equipment stops you from hitting the ground, but as soon as that happens, now there's a new hazard introduced, and that is suspension trauma. The longer you hang there, the more likely it is that you're going to die from suspension trauma, blood pooling in your legs. So now they require everybody to have a rescue plan so that everybody on the site knows exactly what to do. If a machine breaks down or someone gets, you know, catapulted out of a platform um, or the platform gets tangled up in something, uh, it also focuses very heavily on uh, selecting the proper mute for the application. Instead of having an operator just go grab whatever machine is on the site that they can use, they have to actually go through what is the application, uh, what is the outreach, what is the ground conditions, and then identify the specific mute that they need to use and then use that machine. So there's a lot of different aspects to the safe use program, uh, and all of them are equally important. And I also believe all of them will increase safety in our industry in dramatic ways. Okay. So who exactly would be in charge of making sure the safe use plan is devised and executed? Well, ANSI uses the term user, but when they use the term user, what they're really focusing on is the employer. So it's the employer that is responsible for ensuring that they have a safe use plan in place for their organization. Uh, and, uh, it, again, a lot of additional responsibilities now that are being placed on the employer. That's why I'm glad we're doing this podcast, and it's so important that we get this word out to everybody because I guarantee the majority of the industry out there does not know this is happening. It, it, they don't. I'm traveling over the country right now presenting on the ANSI standards, and it's a shock to everybody. And uh, so it's it's great that we're getting this out because anybody that has people that work for them that operate aerial work platforms will have to follow under this standard and have all of these different aspects in place by December. So, you know, when the standards were published in December of 2018, they gave us 12 months to comply, and now we're down to four months to comply. And I don't think most people understand that. So what what are some of the things that are different? Like, was was there a... Um did the previous standards require something called a safe use plan specifically, or is this sort of a, a new, more specific packaging of rules that were already in place, whether or not people understood them or not? So what uh, changed, some, I guess? 
some aspects of it, um, you know, we've always had to perform a workplace risk assessment, but it wasn't as detailed as what they're what they're outlined in the new standards now. The whole rescue plan aspect is brand new. Uh, the selection, provision, and use of the appropriate mute is brand new. Uh, the assessment that the support surface is adequate to support the weight of the aerial, that's new. Um, the, the maintenance aspect of it, that's always been in the standards as far as having a qualified person, you know, maintaining and, and, and servicing and repairing the, the, the MUVE. That's been in there. Uh, but now they, they require that you have a trained and authorized supervisor managing or supervising the operators and documenting those evaluations to ensure that they're performing the work properly and that they haven't developed any bad habits, uh, which is, that's a new requirement too. That's going to be a big deal. Um, Unfortunately, uh, across the country on job sites every day, untrained supervisors will tell an untrained operator to go jump on an aerial and go perform a, a, you know, a, an operation, and that person will go do it because they don't want the manager to get mad at them or realize they, they haven't been trained, and that's why bad things happen. So now anybody that directly supervises the MUP operator has to go through specific training as outlined in the standards so that they won't do that anymore. They're going to they're gonna ensure that the people that they ask to perform specific operations on a MUP have been properly trained and have been familiarized on that machine. Um, so there really is a lot of a lot of new responsibilities in the new standards. And again, I think ANSI's been looking at the fatalities involved. They've been looking at all of the different OSHA uh, incidents that they document on a regular basis. And these new standards are really designed to address those and mitigate or eliminate those issues. Okay. So one one of the changes um, that are going into effect in December, as I understand it, is um, training is now its own standard um, with much more specific requirements, um, whereas previously training was part of the general standard. Is, is that a correct um, description, or, or how would you explain what's happening with training? Yeah. Uh, now they have the A92.24 standard is d directly designed for training, and uh, it's not just specifically for operators, and, you know, it is operators, and there's additional training now required for operators, and what a lot of people don't understand is operator training is not grandfathered in. Um, so by December of this year, any currently trained and qualified operator has to receive additional training to be trained up to the new standards, or they will not be compliant with the new standards. So that's really critical considering how many hundreds of thousands of operators we have out there in the industry. All of them have to be have to receive additional training. So, and then in addition to the operator being trained up to new standards, anybody who directly supervises an operator has to receive specific training outlined in the standard, which is very similar to operator training without the hands-on component. And then every operator out there has to provide occupant instruction for any occupant that gets in the platform before they can take them up in the air. So there's a lot of new requirements in the, the NI 2.24 training standard that were not in the previous standard. And again, to me, they all make perfectly good sense. Right, right. So for somebody who, who has been compliant with their training you know, in December, you're saying that regardless, they're going to need to get additional training. Will they have to go and start from scratch with a whole new, you know, course? Or is there like a supplemental piece that they can add to their training that was already compliant? They don't have to go through a whole new retraining uh, because all the current training is still in place and still required. There's just additional uh, training that has to be covered as, 
you know, as far as uh, proper selection of the correct mute for the work to be performed, uh, how to perform a, a detailed site risk assessment, rescue plans have to be included, occupant instruction has to be included. So, uh, you know, and employers can basically, you know, create a training program to train their currently trained operators up to the new standards and be compliant. Um, you know, we, Genie does have an online operator training course, so you can take that, and that would bring your, your knowledge up to the current standards. There are a lot of good training programs that are out there uh, that would bring an operator's knowledge up to the, the new standards without having to be completely retrained. And if you're currently trained and qualified operator, you wouldn't have to go through the hands-on practical aspect. All of your hands-on practical training still applies. It would just be, you know, plugged into the new standards instead. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Um, yeah. So, um, getting back to a safe the safe use plan, which again is the, is now a separate uh, standard from the training standard, all within the, you know the same umbrella, I guess. If and I hope I'm characterizing mm-hmm. that correctly. Um, but going back to safe use, what do you see as some of the most crucial elements of that, or perhaps the most challenging parts that you would really like to drive home to our audience? Like, you know, this is something that has to get done. I know all of it's important, but I guess if you had to emphasize anything, is there something that sticks out? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, and all of it really is important. And, uh, you know, the fact that they have to have this developed, documented, and everybody trained to it by December is a critical point, you know, that people need to understand. Um, out of all of that, though, I think uh, the, uh, the you know, the detailed site risk assessment and the rescue plans, I think, are really – the rescue plan is a whole new thing that most people never think about. And uh, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I do a lot of train-to-trainer courses, and 95% of the time I go out there and – uh, the operators can walk it in with a with a harness and a six foot shock absorbing lanyard, and I tell them, you know, OSHA basically doesn't allow a six foot shock absorbing lanyard from the ground up to, you know, whatever your minimum fall distance calculation is, but let's say eighteen and a half feet. So that lanyard is not really, you know, a proper lanyard. They have no idea. They don't know about that, right? So <laughs> there's a lot of aspects to the standard that are making people kind of sit up and go, wait, what? You know, and yeah. uh, so the rescue plan part of it is really, really important. And, uh, you know, another thing that people don't understand, too, is that when you do fall from an aerial and you're hanging from your harness, you're not safe. You know, you are in extreme danger. And, uh, you know, within 15 minutes, you could start suffering suspension trauma. And you know, within half an hour, you could potentially die from those injuries. And that's another thing that the uh, the rescue plans point out. So, uh, mm-hmm. it, there's, it, you know, the the supervisor training part I think is really important as well. And I think Ansi right there is trying to address the issue again of untrained supervisors directing untrained operators to do things that they shouldn't be doing. So, uh, one of the things that we did, uh, with Jeannie developed a safe use plan guidance document that kind of breaks down the whole safe use plan into chunks and explains each piece of it and gives examples and blank templates that companies can use to get started. Uh, it's, it's pretty much 80% of the work has already been done because when I first started doing these presentations on the ANSI standards, I would I'd terrify the audience, first of all, with all this information. And then they would ask me, well, what do you guys have that can help us? And it's like, sorry, we don't have anything. You're on your own which is a horrible answer to give somebody, you know. So we've decided let's let's develop a tool that we can provide to them. So after we terrify them with this information, we can say here's a tool that you can use, and that's downloadable free right off of Genie's website, genielift.com, of our Aerial Pro site. 
Um, and there's a lot of good tools that are out there that will assist people in, in meeting the standard. But they have to start now. They have to start soon in order to be compliant by December. Right, right. Um, so you had mentioned, uh, in, naturally, you're with Jeannie, so, and Jeannie has a very extensive uh, training program, of course, and lots of materials, as you've noted. Um, but training is available from, from a lot of reputable sources in the industry um, as well, and, and just for the sake of making sure that people do know that they can get this or have access to these things, what, what might be, you know, another, um, some other sources that they could go to? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, ICAP has a great training program. The AWPT training program is a fantastic program. JLG has a great train-to-trainer program at their facility in Pennsylvania. Um, there's there's a lot of good programs that are out there. What I would, what, my biggest suggestion is stick with a company that you that you trust and understand that a good operator training program is going to be four hours, four to six hours in length. Anything less than that is not going to be compliant uh, And because, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that are doing these 30, 45-minute, what they call operator training sessions, and all they are is just a glorified familiarization, and they're walking away, and these, these poor operators believe that they've been properly trained and they haven't been properly trained. They haven't received the information that they need to be safe. So uh, I would say stick with the companies that you know and trust and understand that a good operator training program is going to be at least four to six hours in length. Those are the two when, critical aspects. And when you say four to six hours in length, do you mean like an online program, not the practical part, of course, this is the, the online or classroom theory portion, or are you combining the two? What, what would you uh, say about uh, that? Uh, a combination, you know, typically an online course is going to be around three hours, and that is the general training aspect, but it has to be followed up by a hands-on practical training with a qualified person doing the, the pre-operation inspection, showing you how to perform the function test, and then operating the, the mute for a sufficient period of time to demonstrate proficiency in the operation of the machine. So it's a combination of the two. You know, there's a great document out there. Uh, called Best Practice for Training Familiarization on Aerial Platforms, uh, put together by IPAP, AEM, AED, and SAIA. And, uh, you know, they basically outline the specific requirements for not only general training, but also familiarization. And in that document, they state that, that, that your initial training should take three to six hours at a minimum, depending on the number of pieces of equipment you're going to be trained on and how many people are in the class. Okay. Um, again, that's the, uh, I can't remember the entire title, but it's the best practices for, and if you could say that again. Training, Scott. Best, best practices for training and familiarization of aerial platforms. It's okay. a great and document. That's available at www.ipaf.org. Um, other places that that might be available, do you know? Um, it, does Gene um, have I, that available on their website? or? Um, I believe it's also available at the saiaonline.org. Uh, email okay. or uh, website, yeah. Okay, great. Good sources of information there. Um, is there anything else that you would like to point out about um, the safe use plan requirements or any other aspect of the new ANSI standards? Uh, just that, you know, I know we're not we're only talking about the safe use plans, but in the, as far as the design standards go, there are a lot of changes in the designs of the machines that people will have to be aware of because, now they're they're introducing platform load sense where the machines will weigh the weight in the platform and the machine will shut off if it's overloaded. Uh, the, on booms now, if you drive it onto a slope that exceeds what it's rated for, the machine uh, lift and drive and steer functions will be disabled. There's a lot of things that are changing 
uh, that people have to be aware of because they might be used to driving a certain model and get their hands on that same model but in the new anti-compliant uh, build and it's going to behave very differently. So there are a lot of aspects right. to, to the damage that people are going to have to understand and be trained to.